Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of The Toolkit. My guest today is Gianfranco Rossi, an Italian documentary filmmaker who has won the top prizes at the Venice and Berlin Festival. These are awards that almost normally exclusively go to fiction narrative filmmakers. And now at the New York Film Festival, he's been programmed in the main slate, not the doc category, alongside other great European auteurs like Almodovar and the Dardens. This really feels like the year that American cinephiles are going to get a chance to discover the amazing films of Rossi, as he'll be receiving a major retrospective at BAM at the end of the month, and his new film Fire at Sea is already being dubbed a frontrunner for an Oscar nomination and getting a sizable release next week on October 21st. Fire at Sea is a look at life on a small Italian island, the southernmost point of Europe, through the eyes of a small boy. But just removed from life on this sleepy winter island is this ongoing human tragedy as waves of refugees are trying to make their way to Europe from Africa in completely inhumane conditions, such that, um, you know, Rossi actually tells us that since he started rolling cameras, um, over 20,000 um, have died either um, in the trip over or by the time they get here um, and before rescue boats can bring them ashore. Uh, Rossi really isn't a filmmaker who normally tackles large social issues like this, and even in this film, the immigration crisis seems to be on the periphery of the story. And his perspective is really an artistic one, capturing a unique portrait of Europe at this moment in history. I think you're really going to enjoy listening to him talk about how he makes movies. IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast is brought to you by our friends at AFI Fest, presented by Audi. The film festival takes place in the heart of Hollywood from November uh, 10th through the 17th and includes over 100 films, nightly galas, special tributes, and much more. Opening night will feature the world premiere of Warren Beatty's latest film, Rules Don't Apply. Express passes are available at afi.com slash afifest. And now my conversation uh, with the great Gianfranco Rossi. So my understanding is that uh, the because you becoming a documentarian, you're you're like 25. You'd seen Sherman's March, and you realized you realized <laughs> that uh, you could make a film by yourself. You can be alone. Yeah, you can. Be alone. <laughs> and there was something there was something here about uh, it escaped the damnation of writing a script. So this is something that you really kind of it, you've always wanted. You wanted to be a filmmaker, but the idea of becoming a documentary filmmaker was something that well, it was uh, somehow it gave me the freedom, you know, to to interact with things, with reality, and I like the idea of uh, starting uh, something without uh, having any knowledge about it and then discovering it through a process, uh, a long process. So I always knew when I start a film, but I never go know the direction that uh, that's taking my work. And, and somehow the idea of really having this incredible freedom, you know, at the beginning, I remember how heavy it was all the structure of filmmaking, you know, the producer, the writing, the script, the director, the things, but it was this enormous machine. And then at the end, when you have a script, everything lasts so little, you know, so it takes ages in order to prepare this whole uh, structure. And then once you start, everything is so limited and there's no space for mistake or for rethinking or for... <laughs> so uh, the idea, when I saw Sherman March, for me, became this incredible... Uh, wonder, you know, this incredible uh, sense of freedom. And I said, well, you can make film on your own. I remember when I met, I was in Varsavia. I was there with the festival with my film, uh, Below Sea Level. And in the elevator, I met um, uh, Ross. R- Ross. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, are you Ross? Uh, and he said, yes, I am. And I said, can I hug you? <laughs> and he said, well, let's have a beer. <laughs> so we went. We went for a beer, 
And then it was like uh, I told him about uh, you know how much inspiring he was uh, for me. And uh, and there was, then there was a screening of my film the same night or the next day, actually a few days later. And we really hung out a lot together. And at the end he was like, you know, I really hope I like your film because. Uh, it was such a good time we had together. Right. If I don't like your face, it's going to be very trouble. And then after the film, he came out and he, he gave me a beautiful hug and he loved the, that film. So it was a great... Uh, and we lost a bit of touch lately, but I would like to see him again. Mm. And my understanding of the way that you've worked, even starting, starting with Boatman, is you don't pick up the camera, but you, you spend time in a place and you're not, you're not coming in with an agenda. Like, I think some people think this new film is like, oh, you went in to make a film no, about zero, immigrant. Yeah, yeah. And that really what it is is that you need to get a kernel. It's not like you have to have a whole idea, but you have to have like a sense or some kind of emotional attachment to something. Mm -hmm. and, and then you, you pick up the camera, is that? Yeah, no, absolutely. For me, it's so important to start from uh, almost an empty page, you know, like completely what like a writer would do, like have the blank page. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, slowly, you start uh, finding uh, a way. And for me, the first things I have to do, I have to discover a place. Uh, you know, it was uh, India, it was the desert, it was uh, a room with a sicario, it was Rome around the, the, the ground, circle. Yeah. The circle. So there's always a place which somehow has a very strong impact, you know. And then within this place, I have to be able to find the people. Mm -hmm. and, and this happens through encounter, like life. It's very random most of the time. You know, it's hard to, to know who you're going to encounter. Mm -hmm. And when, once you meet uh, enough people that you can say, OK, this is a journey. I can start with uh, this group of people. Suddenly, everything becomes empty. You know, around the ground where three million people live, I had six people with me. In India, I had one person with me, the boatman. In, uh, in uh, El Sicario, I had one person. That you, so these people then they become an archetype almost. You know, they have to embrace also what you don't see, and so mostly they have somehow through their own story, like what happened in Lampedusa. They have to reflect uh, what's uh, the strength of the place that I want to narrate. Lampedusa in this case. So through the, this encounter, through these people, I have to create this dynamic and this uh, relationship between the place itself and the inner world of the people I meet in order to create this, uh, this dialogue you know, between the place and the, and the person. And for me, the most important thing when they talk about is your film a documentary? It's a documentary because everything is absolutely real. Everything is like came out from something which I never expected. You know, when you put the camera, you change this relationship, this balance, and something is revealed that you never, never expected. But this takes long, you know, it takes long because I have to really understand first who is the person that I'm filming, which is his reality, which one is his truth, mm -hmm. interior truth. And uh, in order to get that moment of life, it takes really long time, it takes mostly trust. And you have to be able to create this trust. So sometimes I can spend three months without even taking out the camera. Um, sometimes even a year, like when I was in the desert, you know, looking always for, for the story that you want to tell and the person you want to meet. And then around these people becomes the empty space. Like in Lampedusa, there are only six people. It looks like there are only six people living in Lampedusa. Mm -hmm. But then each of them, they embodied, can I say embodied? Yeah, yeah. They embody also what you don't see. So also the other people you don't see. So they become like a part of uh, a bigger space than what I'm really telling you in that moment.
And, and then the act of filming isn't simply documenting. I, I, I get the sense that it's almost cinematic interpretation. It's almost the, there's, there's an artistic aspect mm -hmm. to, like, that you have, I think I heard you say once that there was, you, ha you have this emotion, you have this kernel, and then you have to think of like how you're going to recreate that with cinema. Is that is that well, which is not a recreation, but I have to be able to recapture that moment of truth that I had when mm -hmm. that camera was not there. And that moment is always different because it's never a reenactment mm -hmm. or something. But somehow, uh, I have to create a, the the element that somehow bring to that reality, and so know so well the person, because you know people they have a certain uh, ritual in their life, and once you get into the read and the rituality of what they do, then it's easy to to know when you it's a right moment to put the camera. But when I put the camera, I never know what's happening. Really, it's always an incredible discovery for me. So it becomes like a, a transformation of reality because you know sometimes people say, "Ah, oh, your camera is invisible." My camera is extremely present mm -hmm. when I film. I have a tripod. I have a big camera. Mm -hmm. I have a, but then when when I decide that that's the right moment to film. Everything changed. It changed mm -hmm. the dynamic. It changed. I'm sure it changed also the persons in front. I mean, if we go to a, a psychoanalytical session in that hour, you're gonna tell something that you never say mm -hmm. in a different moment because you know that that's your space. In therapy, in, you, yeah. In yeah, therapy, yeah. 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 That you know that that's your space, and in that space, things come out in a certain way. So I'm sure that that happened also dynamically with the people that I'm filming. You know, in that moment I have the camera, something's gonna change. But for me, it's important that what is changed, it changed within their own life constantly, always, and within their own reality. So this, for me, what is important to capture. And I know that is, if it's real or not real, only if I spend enough time with them. In this film, it was very difficult to find the same dynamic with the, with the migrant. Mm -hmm. Arabic, because I never had enough time with them to spend. Because in Lampedusa, yeah, I got that sense. Yeah, you, people they just pass by constantly. It's like this constant waves. Well, let's take a step back, though, because let's because I'm not. We're going to run this before your movie. So let's. So so the new film, because you're talking about the new film right now, uh -huh, Fire and Fire at Sea. Um, it, uh, how do you pronounce this island? It's La Lampedusa. Lampedusa, and um, you know, I, I got the sense that you know everybody of course is talking about and it's such a big issue right now the refugees and the immigrants and that's but my sense which became more and more yeah, this last one and a half year but yeah but my sense years. really was that it was the people the 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 boy uh samuel samuela samuela and um his family and his father going out and and, and mm -hmm. fishing and uh that in in that place it's an island right yeah, it's, it's a small a, very tiny tiny yeah. island it's a 20 it's like a, um, a tip of uh, Manhattan downtown, you know, it's like a really small island. You can circle the island in uh, two hours walk. It's right off. It's right near Sicily, right? It's 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 uh, it's, uh, it's off Sicily. Uh, let's say Italy. I'm getting a map drawn for me right now. Italy, <laughs> Sicily, yeah. Lampedusa, and Libya. So it's like they're coming up from Africa. Usually, from every map of Italy, Lampedusa is always out of the map. Right. So it's like there's no space. Because it's, it, it, it was like the, it's not part of the Europe one, and it's not part of the. Well, Africa it's the last one. tip of Europe. Yeah. It's yeah. really the, the door of Europe. Right. You know, it's the last. Uh, uh, it's the last place of Europe, Lampedusa, and somehow it's a beacon of freedom where people arrive from Libya. This has been happening 20 years. Um, 500,000 people passed through Lampedusa, and only recently everybody realized, whoops, 
there are people moving in this world, you know? But I, I get the sense... You're becoming paranoid about them. But I get the sense, and of course, you, that, that the boy and his family and the island itself were possibly the starting point Unless the story of the the immigration and the and the and the refugees is that am I wrong it, about it that? It was because uh, when I arrived there in Lampedusa for the first time, two things happened very important. The same year, it was uh, uh, the border of Lampedusa was moved into the middle of the sea, with an operation called Mare Nostrum, which then became Frontex and then became Triton. So it was somehow militarized, this border, mm -hmm. where both, they were patrolling constantly, both from the European community. So every... And that's a direct response to, to the immigration and the refugee well, wave coming Yes, you know, and every boat Africa. was somehow intercepted in the middle of the sea. Mm -hmm. So they've been brought into Lampedusa separately, before the boat they used to arrive to Lampedusa mm -hmm. directly. So there was an interaction between the island and the people. Since the last three, four years, this interaction stopped because everything's been somehow institutionalized. Mm -hmm. So in the film, there appears like these two different, this world that they barely touch. Mm -hmm. And in between this world, there's a do the doctor that somehow puts these two things right. in contact. But this somehow, it's also a metaphor of Europe for me, what happened right in Europe, you know, these two worlds that they can never communicate. They're right. there, both of them, but they don't communicate. So when I arrived in Lampedusa, I found this situation, that which already was at this border, so no boats were arriving there anymore directly. And the center, the hotspot center, was closed because there was a big fire. So for six months, uh, four, six months at the beginning of my field, the island was empty. There were only people from Lampedusa, and then it changed later, mm -hmm. they start arriving with this modality, with this new modality. And um, so this gave me the incredible, at the beginning I was like, oh, how am I going to show this? Because everybody's expecting that this island is a, an incredible interaction between the migrant world and the people, mm -hmm. it's not. And even now that there's a center, it's a completely no touch of that. So I started really focusing a lot on the island, on the people, because the first uh, idea of the film it was somehow to shift the point of view from the migrant world, mm -hmm. because Lampedusa was always narrated uh, from the media, from the, inter from the um, press, mm -hmm. in moment of tragedy, when there was some death, uh, when there were some kind of very strong things happening. And then the cover was always focused on the, on the migrant world mm -hmm. and never on the island. So like this island was just a collector and with no identity. And I wanted to shift this point of view. So I wanted to show the, the migration phenomenon, yeah. but through the eyes of the people of the island. And, and the first need was for me to find a character. Right. And I thought uh, I should uh, have a kid, a right. young kid. So this gave me much more freedom also, because a kid is not allowed to know everything that happens around you. Right. So we can even not talk about migration. It could be something else. You know, this was my, my feeling. And when I met Samuele, I felt like he was an incredible, incredible little kid. You know, it was like a little kid with the head of an old man, you know. Yeah. So it was like incredibly, immediately I fell in love with him. And then, then I started filming him, and I didn't know where this was taking me because, you know, it was just a long process that was starting with him. I knew, I didn't know that he was going to become such a strong character in the film. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered every time I filmed him that there was an inner world of him that was always uh, bringing up to some kind of metaphor, you know, mm -hmm. the war, the inventing the enemy, when he cuts the cactus and patch it up with the tape and say, okay, that's perfect, it's what exactly we do every day. Inner world, it's like a coming of age film. Right. It's the struggle of someone facing life. 
as much as we struggle facing a reality that we don't know, he struggled to face things he doesn't know of life, becoming a fisherman, mm -hmm. not being able to row, the lazy eye, the, the anxiety, the vomiting that he does on the boat, you know, all this little battle that he does. And for us it's exactly the same world that we don't know. Something is arriving, yes. there's people, there's a suffering that is coming towards the island, and, um, and are we able to understand that? Because so this became like a, 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 a suspension, like a supporter right. of the whole mood of the film. So there is an interior mood in the film, which is Samuele, and then there's a voice of awareness, which is the doctor. Right. Okay, let's just stop there, because the thing is, is that his family, his, he, it was his grandmother, and his father goes off, and, and his, his goes off in the boat and fishes. And, and we get a sense of their life. And I think what you're talking about with the metaphor is, is that it is removed from the great wave of, yeah. of tragedy yeah. that is, because that, that's a reality that is com island. coming in. And when you say the doctor, the doctor is the one person on the island. The link between that, these two worlds. And, and so could you talk about, in the, in the film, it's put in titles right up front about this. It's the only thing that you, you don't like explaining things, but right up front. No, no. You, but, but could you, <laughs> Give us just a little, I mean, the numbers are staggering in terms of how many people are coming into this island, how many people are dying. I mean, I can't, am I wrong? Was it 15,000? Well, it was 15,000 when I started yeah. the film. Now yeah. the, the, the numbers are 22,000, 23,000. Since, uh, since uh, January, when I gave the film for Berlin, uh -huh. now it's almost eight months, nine months, by another 7,000 people died. Uh, so it's up to 22. So we're around 22, 23, 25,000. Who knows? This number are giant. This is like a, a slaughter, you know, a human slaughter in this moment. Uh, because these boats are coming up. These mm -hmm. boats are coming up between 150, I guess, like maybe 300, 400 people. I mean, it's unbelievable how many people are on these boats. And they're coming up from Libya. And, and these people are in the hands of human uh, trafficker. Yeah. Trafficker? Yeah, trafficker, yes. Trafficker, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I mean, you know, every, every, every person that costs $1,000, $1,500. If in a boat there is 500 people, like in the case of the boat of the film, when 50 people die under the boat, um, it makes like over six, seven hundred thousand dollars. So this is like an enormous business. Sometime, uh, just a few days ago, in one day, they were saved 7,000 people in one day oh, on the sea. Yeah. 7,000 people in one day. So imagine the amount of people that are like pressed, and these are people that are ready to escape uh, from tragedy. They're coming from, sub, from Africa, from, from Syria, from all these places, and they're stuck in this Lydia on the hands of human traffickers, on the hands of criminals. When some, you know, the, there's a moment in my film which I was able to capture, and I think that moment is, uh, is worth uh, the thousands of interviews, the Nigerian song. It's like an epic moment that it's like witnessing history mm -hmm. uh, in three minutes of between a, a gospel and the and the and the rap. The, the chant, the, they are witnessing history. There mm -hmm. is a testimony. It's an epic testimony of a, of an of exodus. Everything spends, yeah, of from the desert, from Libya, from the de from the prison, drinking their pee, the sufferings, the killing, the people, and then facing the sea, the the unknown of the sea the potential death of the sea, where they had their own uh, people dying. Mm -hmm. That was, a, I was able, I was there. Mm -hmm. I was there when there was the rescue, and I couldn't film it because the conditions were like horrible of the weather, the mm -hmm. things, it was like impossible to even to take out the camera. But then I was able to spend time with them, 
And the first image I shot of that close-up, that there's this encounter with right. the eyes, although there is a separation there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's like this plastic that's over yeah, them, yeah. Yeah, and because they're outside the, the boat, the, and, uh, and I'm inside the boat. Mm -hmm. And so again, this separation between the two worlds, you know? And I, everybody is dressed in, uh, I think, a hazmat suit, masks and stuff. It's they, a, they, they, on the rescue. Yeah, on the yeah. rescue. I, I assume you are as well. Are, did I, they, I, 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 I did try not to because not. I couldn't I feel comfortable to have with my camera, my sound. Plus the eye things. contact and making... The, yeah. So I, I, I try not to, to have that on. But mm -hmm. uh, the day that I, had, uh, that I filmed the, the tragedy that I put in the film, in that day I was obliged to have that because when I went mm -hmm. also on the boat and things, they asked me to wear that but then when I was on the boat filming with the late with the people uh, mm -hmm. that were crying all the, the tragedy there I didn't have that anymore on me and I had to sign a paper for my responsibility not wearing in that way but also it was very impressed for me I spent 40 days in this uh, military boat mm -hmm. and the fact that we were all dressing like this it gave me some always this idea they were phantom almost you know mm -hmm. that they were like uh, these uh, aliens Go right. to save aliens, you know. Aliens saved by the aliens. You know, it feels like I don't know if you saw the Spielberg so, movie ET, where they yeah, they I wanted to have this boat with no almost like you didn't like well, it's like a phantom boat. Right. You know, go to an apothetical rescue, and then this boat encountered death. So in my mind, there is always a, somehow a structure of narrative uh, things, you know, mm -hmm. which is more like I don't want to say it's a poetic film because I, I can, it's not me to save the things, but but I like to use the language of a poet of a poetry instead of language of essay mm -hmm. in the film. And I like that uh, the word uh, have more space around that you can interpret it much more, that the distance you know, between words is like a note, the, the distance, uh, the, the silence that there is between a note and another one, and, and how this note has to belong to this other note, and this note to this other note in order to be able to, to follow a, a, an harmony, you know, mm -hmm. that. So, I do have an, a general idea of what I want to film. It's more an emotional thing than right. a rational. So to create always almost a narrative uh, feeling, you know, uh, more close to a fiction than to a documentary. Mm -hmm. And almost closing the door always of information, you know, like I don't like to say everything. My, my challenge in my film is like how less can I say? Right. How little can I say in order still the film to make sense? Because you know, when people say, "The fuck is this? <laughs> what are you talking about here?" But that's what I like to do always, you know, to say as little as I can, on, and then people have to come out with their own uh, conclusion or, or question most of the time. Because I think the film open to more question than not to answer. And the one thing that strikes mm -hmm. me about um, in your filming of the refugees and being on the rescue boats is that, um, and you got some amazing stuff, but. Compared to how you're normally able to work, I, I'm guessing that the movement of these people is about pretty quick, like two, three days in and yeah. out, right? Yeah. Where And so, so your normal process, such as the people that are on the island who you got to spend those months yeah. with beforehand, mm -hmm. and then get their sense, you're, and, and you feel it in your film. It feels like it's being filmed differently and that you're, you're getting, yeah. and you don't and there's also a different approach. Right. Because one is more somehow more moment, you know, mm -hmm. hand handheld shots, mm -hmm. more like uh, improvising constantly. The other one is more like uh, settled. There's one frame, and in within this frame, has something has to happen inside, you know, it has to, to be a beginning and an end. Right. And so there's like two different way approach of cinema, in, of documentary, or, or whatever, of language. You, the one thing though is you, I, I think that it should be said for and. Um, 
I, I should say this, that um, at the end of the month, they're doing a retrospective of your work. And I really think with this film, and I think this film's going to be playing here for a while, that I really think people are going to be, this is the year that, in the States, that people are going to really start discovering your work. I, I really honestly believe that in terms of the filmmakers that we underappreciate in the States, you're, you're at the top of my list. And I'm really hoping. And so, but one thing I bring this up is, is that because you just talked about handheld documentary, and you, in some sense you're giving a little bit of a false impression because you have the single most locked down on a tripod yeah, camera I yeah. can think Which of. Which is the first time I used that term. But, uh, then I can tell you know why in this uh, film. Mm. Because, because, I mean, you're, my sense is that it's, I mean, most independent narrative fiction films are not as steady and as determined mm -hmm. in your frames. Your frames are beautiful. And my sense is, is that you have found your space, you've figured out where your camera is going to be, and you know what that relationship's going to be, and you're not the type of filmmaker, if something's going to happen, oh, take no. the camera off the tripod no. and go follow it. I don't. Yeah, you exactly. don't, you no. don't do that. No. And so, you know how many things I miss? <laughs> <laughs> but for me, my work is about missing things. Yeah. Is that now, because I, I miss maybe 60% mm -hmm. of things, and then I'm able to capture the 40%. But that 40% is worth it, all the things I missed. And considering you're on the boat, you're in Because the when you miss things, you're constantly chasing something, like a, right. a dog on a boat. Right. And I don't want to have that. I want to, I start focusing just on things that are important. And then that has to come out for me. And I'm waiting for that moment. I wait for that moment to come. You know, my guess and once you have that moment in your mind, sooner or later will come. I don't have to recreate that moment, but mm -hmm. if you know what you want and what you expect, a certain point is going to come there, that's, ah, that's the moment I'm waiting. Mm -hmm. And that's where it is, and I cannot miss that now. Right. This is the moment. And frame, still, no anxiety, mm -hmm. no start shaking, no move, no things, no, yeah. no looking for. You know, the first shot of the film is a handheld shot. Oh, and the one with the boy in the tree? Yeah. And oh, you're steady. You are, you are. Look at, are you, did you see the film on the big screen? I'm going to do it tonight. Okay, yeah, so tonight. think about that tonight. Yeah. Okay. And you see there's a lot of uncertainty there. The camera okay. goes... And when I was filming, I said, this is wrong. This has to be steady, one shot. And mm -hmm. I felt that so strong. And after, since then, I never used a handheld camera, except when I was filming and the boat, uh, mm -hmm. the, the emergency and all these things. To, but, to, oh, I'm sorry. No, two things off the... You know, my guess is that your aesthetic and your approach as a filmmaker um, would be the same, but I do wonder how much of this thought process and your discipline comes from having started doing documentary in 16 millimeter. I and love shooting it. And Absolutely. I, I love to teach, uh, I love to do work with the students. For me, it's one of the most rewarding things. And, uh, and sometimes I ask them to do exercise, although they, all this digital, you can change and things, but whatever. I asked to shoot like they have three minute film, and in this moment they have to make a story with, with no editing, with mm -hmm. no thing, which is like people are completely lost on that. Yeah. But I remember when I was at the NYU, this is what it was. You had a, rule, a role of three minutes, and you have to be able to make a story in that role. They give you one role, and you have to come down out with the story, sometimes edited while you're shooting. Uh, and the discipline that gives you that is incredible. With Boatman, which is my first film I did in India, I think I shot like 15 hours of film. Yeah, I actually have that. I saw this last night. Very, very little. I don't 12 remember. hours? You or were 12, there for yeah, five 15. years, yeah. 12 hours <laughs> yeah, of footage. <laughs> so, 
you probably you probably have you probably have uh, people out there right now that shot twelve hours last week on their on their documentary. They, they even compress maybe twelve hours in an hour. You know, they make like six cameras. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> or like make it fast so it looks like. But, um, but that was so the discipline, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, so every shot was worth it, everything you had, mm -hmm. money, things, mm -hmm. your travel, your trip, that mm -hmm. shot became so important. Mm -hmm. That shot was the mother of all shot possible, you know, you were discovering cinema in that moment, you know, you were the one making that composition and that mm -hmm. element. And that truth had to come out. And in both, I remember, I never wanted to cut things in between. So I had to wait. And that was very difficult because I had the role of 15 minutes there. Mm -hmm. 15, yeah, 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, really like 10 minute mags, I think. Back 12, yeah, sorry, yeah, 12, yeah. 12 minutes mag, yeah. yeah. And in, within that space, you had to be able to tell a story between, if you see Boatman that is coming out here, it's a film that I really love a lot. It's like I've seen, I've seen, it's a, how long is it? Is it 55 minutes? Okay, I've seen 20 minutes of it. Okay. I don't know why. Everything is like has one shot there. There's mm -hmm. never editing in between. Right. Except one scene, probably. That was a bit more cut. But everything happening within one frame, beginning and end, beginning and end. So to arrive to do that it was an incredible exercise of patience, of knowing when to roll mm -hmm. and knowing when to, to cut, you know? Right. Constantly. So for me, that, that was an incredible, um, incredible school. And I think for the people that started right now, it's so cheap, you know, like you can mm -hmm. shoot for exactly 500 hours, is zero budget, you know. It's opened the doors. I mean, that's but the then one you thing. go. That's why people spend so much time on editing. Right. For me, editing is maximum. My film Sicario we edited in ten days. Mm -hmm. uh, below sea level, we edit in uh, in one and a half months. This film we edited in two months. So the editing process is very fast because I know exactly what mm -hmm. I what I film. Mm -hmm. And I know what is important in my film. When I edit, I never look all my footage. Never. You don't? I don't. I don't look uh, 90 hours of footage. I, I, I have a great assistant that he selects the whole, uh, and he, he makes the right, uh, you know, some way, let the doctor, the things, he, he logs the whole film. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I close my eyes and I say, okay, some way there. To, 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 and they start coming out the scene. I don't have to look all some way there. Because mm -hmm. the moment are there, they're important. When you're looking inside the camera, another thing that I learned a lot when I was filming, and for me it's very important, that not this, it's important this. This eyepiece. Mr. Rossi right now is showing me on a camera, by the way. He's, he's got the camera out. It's fundamental <laughs> to look inside here. It's, it's because, important to look through the because, viewfinder. Because then everything is here. It's like a microscope. Right. And you discover a world within this. Mm -hmm. Because if I do this, mm -hmm. I, I have so much things around me. So this is, doesn't make so any just, sense. So just, just the difference being, because right now you're showing the difference between looking through an eyepiece yeah. and, and looking through a frame versus and kind of standing back and seeing exactly. the world in a monitor. In a monitor. Yeah, in a monitor. I hate to, this, when they take pictures like this, mm -hmm. or film like that, for me it's inconceivable. Because film is like, for me, is this. Right. It's all my body and, and, and eyepiece mm -hmm. and this frame that is there is the whole world you have. And this has to make sense. Right. And only by looking at an eyepiece. It's like a scientist with a microscope. You, you don't see anything, and suddenly you put a microscope, and, pff, and you discover a world mm -hmm. inside. And this makes me discover a world and a narrative. And the fact that I do sound and camera at the same time, it gives me this uh, incredible unity between sound, narrative within the frame, and also, I have to be able to include in this frame what I don't see, right. what is outside me. If a good frame, 
you can see also what is in your back, what is in the side of the frame. Get a sense of what's outside the frame. It has to be inside. Well, we get a sense of what the story is not mm -hmm. told by the character. There's something bigger around. Right. The politics in my film, I always say, is the third story outside the frame, mm -hmm. and yet it comes into the film so strong. It became one of the most political films, uh, definitely, that I made. <laughs> You're talking about the, the, this film, yeah. yeah. Because the politics is, uh, is breathing outside the frame in my film. You know, mm -hmm. It's never inside like a, a, like a, a point of arrival. You know? I never want to say this is what it is. You know? so, but it leaves so much space that then politics comes in constantly. Light and color and image is so important. I mean, I, I mean anybody listening to this can tell that you're really coming at this from, from a very strong artistic standpoint. Um, and the light and the color are so important to you. And this film has a very distinct look. I, I'm curious, did you choose a specific time of year? There's, yeah, a, there's a grayish, always. bluish to it. I can only imagine like this, this place and the feel of this movie would look different in kind of a summer setting. Well, first because the island in the summer changed completely. It becomes colonized by thousands of tourists. Oh, the summer people come. Summer people come. So yeah. whenever the tourists are the new colonial <laughs> force, right. they'll change completely the dynamic of a place. Okay. That would be and a different film. And even Sabuele is, is corrupted in brackets by, by the tourists, you know? Okay. The sun, the light, the things. I'm photophobic and I hate too much. I hate the blue sky. Right. It's something that I cannot look at, except, you know, like this is too bright for me today. Mm -hmm. I love the, the shades of the, of the, of the clouds. Mm -hmm. And this will give me an incredible intimacy. The fact that when I film, I don't have to have a harshness of a light that comes in a place that's overexposed mm -hmm. and is underexposed because of the light, because of this thing. Mm -hmm. I like to have this homogeneous uh, world. Mm -hmm. And the, the, I feel protected by the, by the clouds. Sometimes I wait for the clouds before mm -hmm. I shoot. Not sometimes, always. I always wait for the perfect cloud. Also because maybe I don't like shooting so much. Mm -hmm. I don't like to put the camera there. It's such an effort because you know I never know what's going to happen, so I have this incredible anxiety. So to give myself a, a way of saying, oh, today I don't shoot. I wait for the clouds. It's a great uh, relief. And then maybe you stay two weeks with no clouds. You start getting anxiety. Oh, so time is uh, running. I have to shoot. And then when the clouds come, you're ready to do it, you know, mm -hmm. because oh, I have to take advantage of the clouds. So everything goes in. Mm -hmm. in this adrenaline and, and, and something will happen that day to film. I was with my assistant there and he said, sometimes I said, no, I don't want to, what's going to happen today? Nothing. He said, no, come on, let's go. Something's going to happen. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And boom, you, feel the, you put down the camera and something magic is happening. Right. I always say that this film is self-reproduced, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's almost made it by its own. Uh, it has this very easy thing because every time I put the camera, something magic. This this film happened. It was not the same with my other film. It was the same in Boatman, mm -hmm. my first film. The other film was struggle a lot, you know, to have something strong happening in front of the camera. This film, every time the camera, when I had the courage and the humility to put the camera there, something magic was happening always. Was sometimes this would I love about documentary in mm -hmm. a way, you know. And, some, and then I close this, some certain things, there's no writer in the world or no actor in the world that they would be able to perform the right. way, you know, the doctor scene and the, and the kid, it's magic, that scene, you know? Right. And there's no way you can write a scene like that. 
So I love when the reality imposes itself in such a strength that no writer or no director or no actor can do. The doctor stuff, I mean, was so difficult. It was so difficult, and the way, the way you structured, you know, the doctor is, is, is seeing just horror on a... On yeah, a, on a all on his a, life, 20 years and, and you start off with a, you know, kind of looking, him showing images on the computer, kind of talking about it, and you can see how much this weighs on him. And your film slowly gets closer, closer to it. And paradoxically, that scene is one of the last scenes I shot in my film. Oh, really? Okay. You know? But when I've... And I tell you a secret. Uh-huh. Well... <laughs> which is not a secret This anymore. is going on iTunes, so... Which so is not a secret <laughs> anymore, because... When, but when I went to... When the film was accepted in Berlin, mm -hmm. I still didn't have that scene oh, of you the did? doctor. Okay. There was something else. In, was something I was else. weak. Yeah. And then I felt always oh, this, I need to, the doctor had a very, very strong relationship. Mm -hmm. We were really friends and very close. Mm -hmm. And when you're so, so close emotionally to someone, it's hard to put a camera in between. Right. You have to have still a certain distance. You know, when, when you go over that, then it's hard to put the camera on. Mm -hmm. And with him, that will happen, basically. At the end, it was very hard. And I, he gave me, at the beginning of the film, he was the one that convinced me to go to Lampedusa, to stay in Lampedusa and make this film. He gave me a USB key, mm -hmm. and he said, because when I met him, I said, I don't know if I'm going to come back and make this film. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm able to make this film. Mm -hmm. He gave me this USB key, and he said, go back home, watch this, and I'm sure when you come back, you're going to stay here and make your film. And that's what I did. You know, I saw what that key had inside. It was 20 years of, of, of the images, tragedies of, of the, the tragedy. That, and at the end of the film, I remembered that, that key, and I gave it back to him. I said, yeah. remember one and a half year ago, you gave me this. Now I want you to put it in your computer. Oh, so those are the images that he gave he you gave that me. he's looking at. So it was at. his own thing. So I, he put it on, and he started talking. And the day before, he, he was very, he had a very bad, um, he, he was Cold. overstressed. Oh, he's overstressed, okay. And he co collapsed, and it was bad. Mm -hmm. So he, he said, we had an appointment, he said, no, today I can't, maybe tomorrow. And then he didn't come, and then he said, well, what happened? So I was very, I, had, I, I didn't feel good in these two days because I was overstressed with work. And then I said, well, let's wait until you feel better. And he said, no, no, let's do it today because my, my, maybe tomorrow I'm not gonna be here anymore, you know? Like, and so when I met him, he had this incredible, he had this incredible strength inside. And that's uh, the most strong moment of the film. But that oh. happened at the end when the film was almost finished. And in the way you have it in the film, it then draws our attention to what's going on in that boat, and then you eventually start bringing because us to that. That is what makes us accept the tragedy in the film. Without Dr. Bartolo, yeah. I would never be able to show the death in the mm -hmm. way. Because the whole film was built to arrive to that moment. The whole film was built for that moment. Well, it is a beautiful film. Thank uh, you so much. And um, you, are you going to be here when it's at BAM later in the month? Are you going to yeah, be here yeah, for the films? Definitely. Yeah. And so that's, I think, towards the end of October. I'll, I'll put the it's dates up. It's around the twenty. We should ask. Yeah, we'll put it up. Yeah. We'll put it up. But you should absolutely come see those films. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you.